right, guys. Welcome to The Dad Presents. So happy to have you here with me today. A big couple days here. We got Trump's last day coming up. Um, I'm really hoping he he sticks it to the establishment and does the right thing for free speech and pardons Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. But I'm not holding my breath. Um, Not expecting that to happen, but it would be terrific. Um, Joe Biden is getting inaugurated. Um, in a few minutes here, we're going to have Major Williams coming up. Now, he's going to be running for governor of California as a Republican. He's an awesome guy. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him. Um, so we'll be with him in just a couple minutes. But, you know, before that, just a couple things on what's coming up. What happened at the Capitol? I guess it was about a week and a half ago now. Just all around bad. Um, it's bad it's bad anytime there's violence and, and why violence is really bad for a movement is because you lose the public support of Americans. If you looked at what happened with black lives matter um, in June and July, that movement had overwhelming popular support in America um, up around 80%. And by October it was down around 20%. And that's because of the violence. That's a hundred percent because of the violence. That's because they were burning down cities and murdering people for about six months, 36 people dead, countless cities burned down. And, and now this at the Capitol, um, you have a lot less people supporting that movement and what that movement is exactly. I'm not sure. I mean, part of it is a movement to keep the president in the White House, President Trump, but there's also a lot of people there for other reasons. Uh, people who are there because they want the lockdowns to end, people who are there because um, they're tired of our rights being infringed upon and the repression of free speech. All of those movements now are going to lose steam. So now we have this situation where Joe Biden is about to become inaugurated and, and there's 26,000 armed soldiers at the Capitol with the orders to use lethal force if necessary. That's terrifying. We've never seen anything like that on American soil, at least not in my lifetime. And you know, there's this expression and it's been said by Hillary Clinton. It's been said by Rahm Emanuel. It's been said by Dick Cheney. And it basically says that never let a good tragedy go to waste. They've all said different variations of this. And we've seen it over and again, and that's what we're going to see right now. We saw it in 9-11. 9-11, the Capitol was attacked. Um, That statement was made by Dick Cheney. And next thing you know, we have the Patriot Act, and we have the TSA, and uh, Homeland Security, and the threat of domestic terrorism is long since gone, but all those things remain with us. The spying on American citizens, all justified by what happened on 9-11. They used that tragedy to steal our way, our freedoms. 2008, we had uh, the collapse of the economy and the housing market, and uh, that's when Rahm Emanuel made his statement about not letting a tragedy go to waste, and what did we get out of that? Well, they pushed through healthcare, and they pushed through a trillion-dollar stimulus that went pretty much 90% to the big banks um, and none to you. Just another way to steal away your freedoms and steal wealth out of your pockets and, and give it to the elite. And now we have this, um, and they've already used the attack on the Capitol as an excuse to steal away some freedom of speech. We saw the, the social media app Parler 
get completely taken down. It was the number one app on the App Store at the time, rising up as competition to Twitter. Uh, We saw it wiped out of existence under the guise of um, protecting you, um, under the guise of uh, the Capitol events were planned there, even though all evidence shows that the majority of the planning of the Capitol attack happened on Twitter and YouTube. Um, so they're, they're already, already using that purging 70,000 people purged from Twitter. Um, before the election, we saw stories about Hunter Biden repressed. Um, you know, it's they're, they're, they use a tragedy and they, they steal your rights. And I'm just urging everybody who's at the Capitol, if you're there to protest, whatever reason you're there for, if you believe in your cause, do not get violent. Do not give them a reason to turn the American people against you. Do not give them a reason to steal more of your freedoms. If we have violence tomorrow, and I'd say there's a good chance that happens when you got 26,000 armed soldiers with shoot to kill orders. I mean, they don't have shoot to kill orders. They have uh, use lethal force if necessary orders, but that sounds like pretty much the same thing. There's a good chance, you know, all it takes is one idiot and we're off to the races. And, uh, if that happens, you know, look out. They're going to be coming for the guns. They're already they're already starting it. There's already legislation out there um, that will require a license for you to buy ammunition. They're already trying to outlaw body armor, which, um, you know, just crazy, crazy stuff. So I'm just telling you guys, be peaceful. The, if you look at the most successful movements in history, they've been peaceful movements. Uh, you can talk about Martin Luther King. You can talk about uh, Gandhi. You can go all the way back and talk about Jesus Christ. Those are the movements that caught steam, that made a difference. If you want to make a difference, you got to do it peacefully. If we want to get control of our country and our rights and our freedoms, and we want freedom restored in this country, we can't give them an excuse to take away more of our freedoms. So that's all I got for you on that. Um, Don't want to spend a lot of, of your time making you listen to me rant because we have the future governor of California coming up, um, and I want you to hear from him. So let me just remind you of our sponsor. That is sheathunderwear.com, best underwear in the world. Um, you get 20% off. Use code word dad for 20% off, and I'm telling you, these are the best underwear you ever put on your body. Don't wear those dirty old drawers another second. Get yourself over to sheathunderwear.com and get some fresh new drawers. All right, everybody. Today, we got a treat. We got Major Williams on the show. Um, So I'm going to dedicate most of the show to him because uh, it gives me a chance. He's running for governor of California, and it gives me a chance to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is how bad Lord Newsom of Sacramento stinks at his job. So Major, thank you for joining us. Um, How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. Thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it, you know, because anytime I get a chance to kind of share why I'm running, but also just kind of share my frustration with everyone else, I'm all in. So thanks for having me on board. Right on. Perfect. Um, so California, you're running as a Republican. California goes Democratic almost every time. Um, personally, I feel like people in this state are are fed up with the taxes, fed up with the lockdowns. I mean, this past year has been chaos with these authoritarian style lockdowns telling us where we can go when we can go homelessness is out of control i feel like now more than ever californians might be ready for a change um do you 
do you feel like you have a chance to win and what makes you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in everything I've done in my life, I always do it under the pretenses is if I can win, like that's, that's the yeah. key because I value my time. I value my family. And so I'm sacrificing a lot to jump into this role to be cr- criticized every single day, but I'm willing to do it because as I tell everyone, California has given me everything that I love, which is why I'm stepping up. And this is my version of fighting back in order for us to restore the state in regards to if California is ready for a Republican, I think at this particular point, some of the things that you pointed out uh, has allowed us to elevate past Republican and Democrat because we are all unified in frustration. The F word is a key component to what's happening right now with my campaign and also across the state of California. So it really comes down to, are you a great candidate? Are you an effective messenger? Do you have the proper planning and solution ideals to bring us all together and over the last 156 days, I can say yes. And so many millions of other uh, Californians can say the exact same thing. So, yes, we can win. And that's the most important part. It's not just about me. This is our campaign. Yeah, good. So you, you've, you've been getting a lot of positive feedback then. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. For every hundred comments, there's always going to be one or two. Uh, I would be de- thinking differently about this if it was a hundred comments of negativity and only two positive likes, you know, sure. so right, right. feel like they're in our favor, but still so much work to do. Right. Okay. So it's easy to play, you know, Monday morning quarterback on a situation, but I feel like this pandemic here in California specifically has been so grossly mismanaged that it's, it's almost unforgivable. I mean, the the repercussions of what we're going to be feeling for years to come because of the unemployment, the forced closure of businesses, like I don't even, I can't even fathom a guess of how bad it's going to get. It looks like it's going to be bad. So number one, why do you want to inherit that mess? And number two, how would you have handled coronavirus differently? Sure. Well, in regards to how I would have handled it or why would I want to inherit that is simply because it all starts with me with mindset. You have different individuals who kind of uh, they project their thought process into what's going on with me. I look at it like a science project and I get excited. I love solving complex issues and problems. And California has many of those. And so, you know, this is me challenging myself. This is me stepping up for a state that I absolutely love. Uh, in regards to what it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, it's going to take a, a realistic leader that tells everyone there's not going to be a magic wand and it's not going to be fixed just at the snap of a finger. It's going to take a collective effort of, of, of us all banding together, understanding the work that has to be done so we can kind of turn the clock back in regards to restoring our state. Uh, and that's the message that I carry uh, across the state, going up and down the coast, talking to different communities. Uh, different regions and also different industries, letting them know. But the the great thing about what we represent is that we are willing to listen, we are willing to learn, and most importantly, which we which we know the governor hasn't shown this ability, the ability to collaborate, to build, to grow, and someone that's willing to empower them and understand their voices and give them a pedestal and opportunity to not only just share their plights and give them a voice, but also put actionable items in play. So we can actually uh, move forward because, as I tell everyone, I really don't care about uh, being the governor and getting all the credit. I care about adding value. I care about taking in suggestions from any person that can add that final piece of the puzzle for whatever it is that we're missing in any industry uh, and just get it done and get the results because this is an amazing state. Yeah. Um, and it's given me everything, as I said, so I'm willing to fight for it. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a great state. I moved here in 1998. I'd bounced around the country and, and after seeing the whole country, I was like, this, this is the spot, but it's kind of, I'm at the point now where we're considering beating it out of here, like so many other Californians. And I I think you said it well, that it's, um, it's going to be a challenge. So whoever, whoever ends up as governor, people are going to have to be patient because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And, And what I hear, heard you say there is, um, basically, and saying you don't need all the credit is you're not a narcissist. The guy in there right now is a total narcissist. Um, and, and it's just bad for us. It's, it's right. a bad look. And, and it's, I want, and I want to give full context on that. When I say it's not going to happen overnight, I will, I will say that it will happen. It, it, and it is possible. We have to change the culture in order to change the culture of how we, um, how we exist in our political space. It has to start with leadership, changing the culture, the interaction, the engagement, because we need someone that's going to boost our morale versus put their, mm-hmm. you know, which versus holding us down based upon their own opinionated, uh, you know, management skills, yeah. and also governing from a one size fit all narrative, which does not work in California because we have so many different nuances of industries, which is why we see everyone crumbling, and you know, we have the right. most that's leaving, most families leaving, like it just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. I, I mean, I, uh, on that, I don't think you can govern like LA the same way as you govern Sacramento. They're completely right. different places. They might as well be different countries. Really. Right. But it feels like he's doing that, but not yeah. feel like it, he is doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's not been, and you talked about bringing people together. Like we need someone who's um, being inclusive and not just talking about being inclusive, but actually being inclusive, like looking at everybody as, we're all we're all the same, right? Instead of dividing people with identity politics, separating us into groups and pitting us against each other. And that's feels like that's what's happened in the past couple of years. Like people have been pitted against each other, fighting with each other, instead of taking the fight to the man. Right. right. We gotta take the fight back to the man. Right. And and I tell people also, you know, from a voter's perspective, we also have to mature. We have to take accountability and responsibility for the individuals we have continued to elect in these government offices, which is why I say we need a different brand of leadership. And we also need to understand that qualified comes or should come from a different pathway than the normal routes, right? What makes you qualified to be governor? What would make me qualify? Is it a master's degree? Is it a, a, a aunt named Nancy Pelosi? Is it because, you know, I've, I've been in politics 20 and 30 years? Well, if that's the blueprint, look at the frustration that we have right now. If that's the continuous blueprint, my experience is that I have lived life for the last 20 years in California, most expensive places to live, and mm-hmm. I have survived. I have survived through the failure, uh, bad decisions. I have, I have survived from learning from those failures and bad decisions. We have survived in life. And so politics isn't all that we do. I'm sure with, with a title name dad presents, that means that you're a father, right? You're ever evolving in that particular space. And that is your experience. That's why you can speak on certain things because you've went through those things. As an entrepreneur and a small business owner for the last 20 years, having to figure it out, me and my wife every single month to keep the lights on, that gives me the innate ability to have an imagination and creativity mm-hmm. on how to get things done, which is why I always say I would vote for an electrician if yeah. I had to, because at least they deal in completion. Yeah. If they come to your house of business, uh, they can get the yes check or their approval unless what? The job is done. And right. in politicians, they don't deal in completion at all, especially here in California. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is, is you've worked for what you've got and you, and you managed your own life instead of having it given to you. And that that's kind of leadership I want. Um, let's talk about the vaccine. It's coming out now. Um, if you were governor, how would you handle it? Would you, how would you distribute it? And would you make it mandatory? Well, one of the things that I would initially do, not understanding the, every single mechanism on how it's happening right now, but from what I'm told, there are certain regions where they have been successful. So at any, at any, at any point in leadership, you can always turn to successful models that already exist. So if there are successful models on the distribution of the vaccine, that is something that we would try to custom tailor to fit here in California to make sure that the people who want to take the vac vaccination or who need the vaccine uh, will have full access to that expeditiously. Uh, I do believe that the vaccine should be a choice. I do not feel like it Good. should be a mandatory uh, for for uh, for health workers or either for our kids, uh, because I feel like that's uh, an unintended consequence that may come from that. But the mindset of what that represents soon tells us that in order to get on a plane or to do X, Y, Z, you have to be vaccinated because the government says so. And I firmly believe the bigger the government, the smaller the people. And those are breadcrumbs leading to a bigger government that I do not support. Exactly. And I'm look, I'm, I'm, I work in healthcare. I'm, I mostly trust vaccines, or at least I have historically. Yeah. Um, but I don't trust pharmaceutical companies because I've seen, you know, we just, uh, what was it? Purdue Pharma just got in trouble for paying bonuses to insurance companies if there were overdoses on Oxycontin. Like that, that actually came out. So I don't, you know, they're, they're companies, they're in it for the money. And I definitely don't trust the government. So if you're going to tell me something is mandatory, I would feel that way. And I think a lot of people would be turned off by that, especially if you're going to make it mandatory for the children. Right. That, that, that'll be a big sticking point. Absolutely. And so one of the main things that we're doing, which is voice in our opinion, uh, I've expressed that my first 108 plan will go after after eliminating bills like SB 276 and also SB 277. Uh, the, and those are mandatory vaccination bills that we feel like should be erased off the books because it still should be the parent's choice in regards to if their kids to get vaccinated or not. This is not me saying I'm against people who choose to do that. That's your choice. And also you're right. Uh, but we also yeah. want others who choose not to, to have sure. now you, now you're speaking my language. Now you're sounding a little bit like a libertarian and, and that's <laughs> what I, I, I want to see us start to break government down a little bit and put the, the power back in the hands of the people. Now I want to switch uh, a little bit, switch it up to the economy, specifically California. I've, I've heard a lot. I don't even know if this is true, but I've heard that if California was its own nation, it would have the world's fifth largest economy. If that's true, if you also just look at the state right now, nearly one third of all the citizens in this state are below the poverty line. We're the fifth richest country in the world. How do we have one third of all the citizens below the poverty line? Homelessness. When I when I got here uh, twenty years ago, you know, you had you had Skid Row. Yeah. Now the whole city is Skid Row. I mean, you can't go to you can't go under an underpass without there being a tent city under there. What caused this, and how would you go about fixing it? Well, what caused it is misguided leadership for decades on the Democrat policies. That's no, there's no other way to get around it. Uh, the ideology of, uh, you know, when it comes to how they solve it is uh, just put more money into it and somehow it'll work, it, work itself out. I have a philosophy of understanding that homelessness cannot be solved if you look at it like a business. If you look at anything like a business, there's more incentive to actually keep that industry going. Right. Only until we change the philosophy or mindset 
on how we look at homelessness, it has to be looked at like a service. When you have something like a service, it kind of opens up the book to have more checks and balances and more accountability. And there are three pillars that I know that we're going to be able to implement under my administration that's going to help California. One of them is re-implementing re re uh, mental health hospitals, which is a key component which is missing gravely here in California. Uh, the second pillar is going to be uh, drug and rehab facilities that are top-notch, that are able to, to, uh, to get people reacclimated re back into the communities. And these two components do not work at all unless we have the third component. And the third component is what I call wraparound services. Wraparound services basically holds your hand. It helps you with trade classes, training, housing, all the, all, you know, um, uh, all the bells and whistles, so to speak, um, to transition you to get reacclimated back into society. And what that does is it deals in reality. It says that we're not going to erase homelessness. It says that we're not going to be bad in 100%. Some people may relapse. But you will, over a four-year administration of Major Williams, be able to see an increase in our homeless population and also an increase of what we produce as far as getting people reacclimated re back into society. Mm -hmm. In regards to our budget, you're right. We are the fifth largest economy in the nation, uh, but we do have a lot of people that are here strugg struggling. That's because we have leadership that doesn't seek to empower people. For the last 20 years, or at least the last 15 years, I have helped thousands of people small in, in small increments or even in big increments by providing resources, opportunities, and programs. You're dealing with politicians and elected officials who do not dwell in entrepreneurship or empowering other people or inspiring or motivating other people. So when you have leadership like that, even the morale of the, uh, of the entire state or the city just continues to dwindle and dwindle over, over time. And that's what you're seeing um, uh, you're seeing the ramifications of that brand, the leadership. And so uh, another thing, you know, you have to care. Like, we're not business friendly, but this is California. California is a brand of all brands. It's like Nike and Coca-Cola on steroids. But yet we are not business friendly. If you want to talk about lowering and reducing taxes, it's a small, uh, it's a small um, adjustment in becoming business friendly. If you become business friendly, it means that we'll allow corporations and manufacturers to come back to California. That way we can go to the table and address lowering taxes. Right now, we can't go to the table and lower taxes because you have legislators and politicians. They don't have an imagination on how to create new revenue. So they're going to fight and bicker with you and say, we can't do this because those funds are allocated towards the infrastructure or those funds are allocated towards that. But if you have someone like myself that's going to come in and I don't need the government, but I need myself as as a brand and as the governor of our, an amazing state to go and foster great opportunities and great deals and bring them to the table. That's going to generate jobs, increase our, our, our economy and bring revenue, new revenue to our state. Then we can reallocate those funds towards the same things that they're talking about in regards to why they have to have the taxes so high. So there are a lot of layers, a lot of different creative ways on how we would approach it. Uh, but you do have to be smart about it. And it does start with the proper leadership. But that is the main reason why we're in this predicament right now with homelessness. Okay. Yeah, you said a lot there. And I wanna I wanna break some of that down a little bit. Um with with the taxes, you know, they 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 think at every turn they can tax themselves out of trouble. And then what happens is, yeah, the businesses start leaving. I sold my business in 2018. I'm in a work contract that ends in July. When that ends, 
it's one more reason I'll probably be leaving because I'll need to start another business and I can't do it here. Now they're talking about they might penalize businesses or people who leave with some um, exit tax that they're going to do for life, which I don't even know how they, they can enforce that. But it, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to get I want to go back to something earlier you said and challenge you on it. You talked about um, mental health hospitals. Mm-hmm. And I know we got rid of a lot of those during the Reagan years, and that's what started Skid Row. Um, you talk about drug rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those things seem great. But but here's what I want to ask you. like All these ideas, those things are definitely going to cost money. Yeah. I, the, our government in California has been so inept at dealing with our money. When I moved here, I used to vote yes on every initiative. You'd read, okay, this is going to be 0.01 taxes for inner city schools. Oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. The money never gets where it go, where it's supposed to go. And all these programs become a disaster. Why, yeah. why would it be any different with spending more money on mental health and drug rehab? How's that going to be any different than what we've seen in the last 20 years? Well, you're dealing with a different brand of leadership and someone with a different perspective. I am not cultured by uh, politicians. I don't come from any circles or any or any existing silos. I am my own individual. I'm going to proactively call out individuals, and I'm also going to execute forensic audits. Forensic audits is going to go through our entire budget and it's going to identify all of our wasteful spending. And if they will not allow me to actually put it out there, I'm going to get on the camera just like this. And I'm going to share with all Californians in regards to where their negligent and wasteful spending is going and who's transparency. Going to- Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and that's what I've been a part of. It's not just wasteful spending. It's, it's fraud. It's these contracts that they dish out to their buddies. They yeah. take your tax dollars and they give it right back to their corporate buddies um, on these non-compete deals. It's, it's fraud. And then they get free houses out of nowhere. Right. So, mm-hmm. You know, these are the things that we're going to call out. And, you know, with me, you know, some people ask me, like, so once you get in there, are you going to become uh, corrupt just like them other people? I I get that question because they are used to um, individuals getting in those particular places. And I tell people all the time, uh, I have to show you better than I can tell you. If that's the case, you'll never elect anyone. But the thing about me is that I've been a cool guy since I was 10 years old. I've been I've been very secure with myself. I've been an entrepreneur for since I was 14 years old, uh, selling car incense at the car wash or mowing grasses in my community. Um, this is nothing new to me to add value and want to do good. My mother used to take care of homeless people. Um, I have a you know nonprofit and I help people. This is a part of my DNA. A lot of these guys jump into politics and this is something they have to evolve into and they get caught up by the wrong elements of it. Me, I've been doing this for a very long time. It's nothing new to me. I, I've always been popular. Um, I, I've, I've always been confident in myself. So a lot of these guys, it's new popularity. Being in a new industry with me is nothing. I'm looking at these guys like they're coin balls. I'm ready to work. Where is well, the work? I, I I get that. But on that question of, of are you going to change? Or are you going to be corrupted? That That is a fair question because it seems like that's what happens every time, especially on the national scene. So yeah. I think uh, I like all the things you're saying. Um, but one thing about a candidate that I think tells you more about a candidate than, than what they're saying is who's funding them. So where yeah. is most of your funding coming from? People fund it. It's all, it's all, it's all trackable. It's all trackable. People fund it. People have been coming out by the droves. I'm talking about people donating $5, you know, $20, $100, even, even going through a pandemic and a crisis, uh, economic crisis that we're going through right now. 
Uh, I have so many, thousands and thousands and thousands of us of small donors. Uh, there is all transparency when we file. I'm happy, I'm happy when we file in my treasurer files. So people can actually see that component of it also. I have I have traveled for the last 150 something days off the dime of Californians and people with small donors believing in what we're doing, which is a different brand of leadership. So I don't have any uh, huge corporations or anything of that nature are backing me. Uh, it's just me being going out, having oh, fundraiser. Awesome. No special interest. Absolutely not. Zero. And I've I mean, actually turned down a couple of them. So, when, when the election actually pops off, would you like release that kind of information and, and show the people like where your money's coming from? Make that oh, public? It'll be available soon. So it's public records. So all candidates have to be able to file. And we filed at the top of this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it should be available no, no later than uh, the beginning of February. All right. I think that's bad. I think that's very important. Um, I, I mean, I, I've, yeah, I've been very in, involved with politics for a long time and I, I've just learned like, you know, it's like with anything else, follow the money. So if the people are funding you, then, then you can be a man of the people. If you're being funded by corporate America, you're not going to be a man of the people. Um, I want to talk a minute about uh, welfare. Cause this one's kind of a uh, controversial I, yeah. and then we can also get into immigration cause it kind of ties in. Um, I ran a, a home health business for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. I've probably been inside more homes in the Los Angeles community than maybe any person on earth, honestly. I've, I've estimated I've been inside 40,000 homes in Los Angeles. So I, I see what the communities are like. And I used to think welfare was a good thing and a necessary thing, and maybe it is, but the way they've doled it out has decimated communities. It's just torn them up. Um, and uh, now they're talking about maybe extending it to illegals, which incentivizes more people to come that we can't take care of. And, and these these people, I mean, those communities, I mean, they're living sometimes eight to 12 people to a one bedroom apartment. It's not safe for them. It's not safe for the community. Just all around bad situation leads to more homelessness. Question is, how would you revamp the welfare program in the state of California? What changes would you make to it? Well, first of all, it comes from somewhere from a leadership role to acknowledge that we have a crisis when it comes to that. It, it comes from someone in leadership that will acknowledge that we need reform when it, reform when it comes to our welfare, um, uh, our welfare system here in our state. Uh, but also just being a part of that, uh, that process of re-educating people on why that is. Because essentially, when you say that you want to a reform. People think that you're trying to take away some, something from them. Just like you said, you know, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but I think it is. Well, the thing about it is it, it's good for a certain amount of time, right? You don't want to overly enable someone. And the reason why I can speak so freely about this, I grew up in a household with a mother on welfare for 20 years, for 20 years. And I had that mindset. And also, under, I also was under the, under the delusion that uh, that Democrats loved us because they are the ones who gave us money, right? Uh, and now as I live my life and share with other people, I would much rather someone tell me how they made that $100 versus give me $100. Why? Because I can continue to rinse and repeat that process to take care of myself, family, or other things that I'm doing as well. So our state definitely needs a reform, aggressive reform. And we also, when it comes to the immigration aspect of it, even during this whole pandemic, we've given over $240 million to illegal aliens. And yet we still have Californians and people that are struggling and still haven't gotten checks that are, you know, that they, that they feel like they need it during this particular time. So uh, in a nutshell, strong reform. Uh, we'll be very proactive when it comes to that, but we also want to set limits 
in regards, you know, and checks and balances is a very important thing. Okay, if you do new, if you do need welfare, um, there's going to be a certain amount of time that we will reward that. Uh, but there has to be a cutoff. But you also have to be uh, create a system where uh, there has to be incentives, right? One thing I was talking about with yes. homelessness, they they incentivize the wrong behavior. Not saying that they incentivize people not to work, but sometimes they can't. They get more from welfare than they would get from working, and oh, yeah. it incentivizes families to split up because. Yeah you do better as a single mom on welfare than in, in a family setting. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, think about it. It does make sense because it gives them control. The more that they have control, the more that they could give you is the more control they have because you need them. Right. right. Makes mother, sense from. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My, my mother hit a ceiling. She had no, she had no ambitions to go beyond where she was because it was a comfortable space. They created a, a utopia for her to be able to just wake up and not do nothing, sit on the porch or just, you know, watch us go to school, you know, and this is what's happening universally, not just here in California, but here specifically, like I said, it just starts with a different brand leadership, someone who's willing to have that conversation, someone who's willing to implement uh, incentives and tell them this is why it's good for you and just be willing to be the bad guy for a certain amount of time, but also share victory with everyone yeah. once they start to see the results of what we've created to move past that. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. Be the bad guy for a, a moment in time. Like if, if you talk about changing up welfare, they want to paint you as a bad guy. Like, why do you hate poor people? But that's that's not it. Like, it's not helping the poor people. The, the narrative, the narrative. I'm doing yeah. because I love you. And I exactly. The narrative needs to be changed. Like people need to learn that these programs are not good they're not good for people. They're not good for society. Like you're doing it from a place of love, not from a place of, I, I don't like poor people and I'm insensitive. Um, that's, that's what I see with a lot of my very liberal friends is, as they feel it's, it's cruel. Right. Um, they're not seeing how they're not seeing how the whole thing plays out. Well, what's, what's cruel is coming in and say, Hey, no more welfare, figure it out. Right. right? That, that's cruel. To that me. would be cruel. We're, we're, we're saying, no, we're not saying that. We're saying, what's your situation? Let's figure it out. Okay, we support you. But during this time, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And then we're going to cut it off after this time, after we gauge where you could be successfully, whether it's a job, whether it's housing, et cetera. And we want to provide you with services and resources to be able to help you be empowered and mm-hmm. be self. That's right. the conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like with my kids, they get allowance, but they get allowance when they, when they do their chores, right? Yeah. It's not just, it's not just a handout. Cause if I just give them the money, they're just going to sit on their iPad all day long. There you know go. what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's yeah. Um, all right. Speaking of kids, let's switch it up a little bit to education. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a freaking mess. Education's a mess in this state. Uh, I'm, I'm so mad about it. I mean, I don't get, get me wrong. I love having my kids home all the time. That's been great. But they're they're getting two hours of Zoom school a day. They're they're turning in, they learn more f- at dinnertime conversations with me than they've learned in school in the last year, and that's pathetic because I'm paying a lot of money in taxes to get them educated. Right. Um, so let's just forget about the last year because even before that, it was a mess, and it seems like California's solution to the terrible inner city school districts, which are beyond a mess, their their solution is always to throw money at it. It's not fixed anything. Obviously, running these schools costs money, but either they're spending that money inappropriately or they're stealing it, or I don't know what they're doing with it, but it's getting worse and worse. What would you do to fix the school systems? Well, we would bring up the conversation of understanding the uh, 
understanding the need of schools, first of all, in regards to um, how we educate our kids and also the facilities that we create for these kids, especially in regards to upgrades needed in certain urban communities uh, as far as supplies and things of that nature. But it also starts with mindset. I am not a big fan of the common core curriculum that's been uh, put upon our kids and some of the sex education that's been put into the schools as well. But I do believe under everything that's going on right now, our kids should be in school. I've been I've been promoting the let them play uh, rallies with the kids who want to not only get back in school, but also want to continue to play sports. I believe that uh, they should be safe. There should be restrictions in place. But I think that the schools are being punished and even more so the kids are being punished, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, because there are unintended consequences that are occurring throughout our entire state from these misguided decisions by Governor Newsom. You know, the suicide rate is up with our youth, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, insecurity, Mm -hmm. insecurity is going up big time. And so for me as the next governor, that's something I'm going to work expeditiously on as far as if we are at that place, schools are going to open up. Uh, parents are going to be able to have a choice to send their kids to school without vaccinations. And then we're, we're and, and it's really going to be about the curriculum. And it's going to be really about making sure that we implement the right kind of uh, information for our kids. I want my, my son is homeschooled for the last 10 years, so we're a little different. Uh, but I want my kids and other people's kids to start understanding how to balance a checkbook at five and 10 years old or 10 years old. Yes. Yes. Like teach things, teach applicable life skills, like managing money. I didn't, I didn't learn a damn thing about managing money until I was about 30 years old and already owned a business. Like, why are they not teaching money management in school? It's because they want, it's almost like they want you to be in debt prison your whole life. It's the assembly line to nowhere. It's the Mm -hmm. assembly line to nowhere. It's the same trajectory. I was having a conversation with my son. He's only 10 years old about going to college and asking him if he wanted to go to college. Um, I support people always from a choice perspective if they want to go by all means. But I'm also letting him know that he have so many more options. You know, he's already he's he's been trading on the Robinhood app app since he's been eight years old. He's a designer. He creates clay models. He has a YouTube channel. The boy is already making money already. So I said. You know, if you take this and make this a lifestyle or brand or career and it's something that you love doing, then uh, you really don't want to go there and kind of waste your time. You got social skills all over the place. Right. And it's never a knock on college. I just think there should be an alternative when it comes to education. Absolutely. You start telling these kids that it's OK to be an electrician. Yeah. So to be a plumber. I got I know a guy. Uh, uh, he, he cuts trees mm-hmm. and he makes he's 21 years old. He makes six figures a year creating his own tree cutting, yeah. you know? So we just yeah. have to show better examples of what the alternatives are. And I think once we start uh, doing it from a leadership perspective, uh, you know, the youth will be able to gravitate around that with, our, with when it comes to education. Yeah. Well, we, we have, we have a situation now where somehow the narrative started that everybody's got to get a degree. Um, mm-hmm. And because of these guaranteed loans that the government, they back every student loan, every kid is going to school coming out owing 150 grand that they can never escape. And they got like a gender studies degree or something that they're never get a job in. Like if you have a skill, if you go to a trade school and you get a skill, you're always going to work. Yes. You know, it's that simple. Like if you, if you want to go to college, this is what I tell my kids. Like if you know what you want to be in that being, that thing requires a college degree, we'll pay for you to go to college. But if you're just going to go and like get some liberal arts degree, no, you're, <laughs> there's no point that I'm not throwing my money away at that. Like I, YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I paid my school loans off two years ago at 45 years of age. Oh. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. And it, it trapped me in a career that I didn't really love, but it was the only way I could not go to debtor's prison, essentially. Right. Um, staying with school and education, um, some information recently came out. I'm looking here at my feed. Uh, it's become fashionable now to start removing books from schools. Now, this seems to me like 21st century book burning. I mean, I don't know what else you would call it, but books like Huckleberry Finn, Of Mice and Men, uh, Homer's Odyssey, The Catcher in the Ride, Kill a Mockingbird, Kite Runner, Harry Potter. These books have been removed from school districts in Burbank um, on grounds of uh, that, they, they, that they don't preach equity. Uh, we don't talk about equality anymore in the society. Now we talk about equity, which is dumb. But anyway, uh, what do you, how, how do you take this on this? I mean, I, I would assume you agree that banning books is bad. How do you take this mindset on that seems to be pervasive through our community now that, that we need to start banning certain types of thought and speech? Well, it really comes from making an assessment to understand where we are as a society and not necessarily in whole, but when we have, you know, leaders saying a man and a woman, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of puts you in a space of understanding that we're in a very interesting time when it comes to perspective and, and what inclusion really looks like and what unity really looks like. I think there's a huge divide and separation in regards to understanding what that really is. You know, I, for my, I personally, I, I, I love America. You know, I love this country. Uh, I love this state that we're in. And of course, as always, there's always room for improvement in anything that we're doing. But when it comes to taking out, you know, books out of the school and then using, you know, that kind of language in regards to why you're doing it, um, from a layman's terms, I can just say it's silly. Uh, But from a leadership perspective, this is something that I can use my voice and also my platform to advocate against. And we can hopefully, at some, some capacity, make sure that they are still uh, have access to the information, um, you know, when it comes to those books. Um, and I'm, I also look forward to working with the teachers union and certain individuals who are coming up with these policies and these decisions for our kids. And I've always said there's two alternatives. Either I'm going to be a great effective communicator and foster some great relationships with the teachers union, which operates like a mini government in itself. And so we can add some, uh, more reform in certain areas that need it, just like the Common Core curriculum, or uh, once more, I'm okay with being the bad guy, the one that's going in, working towards or against them uh, to make sure that they don't exist and we create something that's beneficial for us versus being detrimental. Good. All right. I like that. Um, going, going along with that and, and the idea of, of equity and inclusion, like we've, you know, we've been hearing so much about, um, I've, I've always been an advocate for equality. But that used that meant something different twenty years ago than it means now. Like they know equality is equality is no longer the goal. It's now equity, which means everybody has the same, which to me sounds very dangerous. Um, Black Lives Matter. You know, we had the uprising this summer when that first came up. I think the movement had a lot of sympathy. I mean, I took my kids to a couple protests. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the police, and and um, you know, seemed like a good movement. But then we had an eruption of violence. Um, the, the movement, I think most people have turned against it because of the violence, because violence typically does not garner favor amongst the public, which was a really terrible thing to see at the Capitol, because I think that movement has lost a lot of steam now. Um, 
point being, when the violence started, I started looking more into the movement. And I found that it seemed to have a lot less to do with protecting black lives than just pushing like a communist mindset through our community. Where do you stand on the Black Lives Matter issue? And if, if you're not down with Black Lives Matter, as a black man running for governor, how are you going to deal with the attacks that are going to come your way? Well, I can answer that pretty simply. Uh, I don't support the Black Lives Matter organization. Uh, and that's just based upon the pretense of its founders and their mission statement. I don't stand for the things that they stand for in regards to what they promote and what they produce. Uh, I also don't uh, support violence. I don't support burning up your communities and your neighborhoods and uh, harming police officers like they terrorized them for an entire summer. Um, but I do support the black community. I'm from the black community, uh, but I'm for all lives. And so running for governor of California, it comes from me just being very blunt and transparent with my messaging. I am for all Californians. You making it about color. I don't need an organization for me to care about anyone. And that's the whole narrative. Like I don't have to support or be a part of this group or that group in order to add value or to want to collaborate or to want to work with anyone. And I can't be pressured or bullied to do that also based upon your pretense or your perception. I am going to be 100% myself, which is authentic and genuine, and I'm going to work for the benefit of all Californians. That's my message to anyone, including the black community. And I won't waver one bit. I love you. Let's work. Where's the action? Where's the value? Let's get it. That's it. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. But what I've seen in the past 10 months is that now, now I'm not a conservative. I would never call myself a conservative, yeah. but I find myself siding with them far more than the other side in the past 10 months, just because of what's been happening in our world. And what I see is when a black man comes out as a conservative, it's worse than coming out of the closet in the 1960s. Like they're going to come at you hard, right? right. They're going to call you all kinds of things. Like, has that started yet? How do you deal with that? How do you fight back against that? Well, the thing about me, I'm already, I've already hit the ground running. I'm actually coming off of running for mayor of Pasadena for two years. And some of my biggest uh, distractors and, and pushback came from the black community. And so it's kind of like I'm already, you know, weatherproof for that type of environment, <laughs> right? Uh, I've heard everything that you can, you know, that you can call a person already. Uh, and the difference between me, I am built a little different. I always tell people, it's just like having a conversation with the boxer and you ask the boxer, like, why would you like want to box? It's because I don't mind getting hit. And I like to hit back. <laughs> and so I'm just a different type of individual uh, when it comes to this. I'm not a career politician. This is not me, uh, you know, trying to pander and, and appease everyone. One thing I know from having a marketing background, sales and advertising, everything is about trends. Everything is about numbers and also statistics. I don't have to appeal to 100% of this particular group or this particular group. I just want to make sure that I connect with enough of them so I can get percentages for all of them. And then we claim the victory. That's the trajectory that we're on. We're not trying to say, hey, we're just trying to get 100% of this because that's not a reality, right? Mm -hmm. So if I go and speak with a, a group, and it's, and I've done this before, I went and spoke to a house that has at least like 60 uh, black individuals in there. And this is at the height of me running for mayor. And the only thing that they cared about is that I supported Trump, uh, you know, for president. Right. And they just couldn't see past it. Um, and once once we got past that conversation, three, three hours later, normally they're like 30 minute mixers or whatever. But it took three hours for me to go back and forth and kind of yeah. understand 
make him understand that. I get that. But then it was good. Yeah. Know? But that's the thing with with the whole Trump thing that I, that I found. Any political discussion I have with anyone who's uh, tr- hates Trump, and that's half the country. Every yeah. discussion circles back to Donald Trump. Like they can't keep his name out their mouth, right. so it, it pollutes every single discussion. So now that that element is removed, you might have a little easier of a time convincing people. One issue that I think that conservatives should really be able to get. Uh, more in the black community on their side over is the second amendment issue. If you, if you're worried about the cops and you think the cops are abusive and, and hunting down black people, like if that's your belief, do you really want the cops having all the guns? There's no question right now that the Democrats are coming after freedoms. They, they came after our freedom to work, our freedom to go outside. They're coming after freedom of speech in the past few months, very hard. Next comes the guns. There's already legislation in the house to, to require um, a license to buy ammunition. Uh, they're going to outlaw body armor like this. This should be an issue that uh, conservatives can really push to bring people in, in the black community. I would think, I don't know. No, I, I would think, but it all comes down to having the right, uh, the right messengers. And that's one of the things Republicans have lacked in the past is having verifiable great messengers or even candidates that could actually win. And that's what they've lacked. I think mm-hmm. that we're starting to catch up on it. And hopefully what we're doing in a couple of others, we can be the lightning rods or the seeds planted to kind of sprout up other uh, strong individuals with great character that's not career politicians, but also can effectively communicate a great message through mm-hmm. story, through facts, and also just being transparent and real with those individuals. And you'll start to see a turn of the tide. Even with my campaign, I don't just have Republicans volunteering for my campaign. It's Democrats, it's Libertarians, it's Independents, it's declining states, first some voters. It's a melting pot of support that we have here on my campaign. Yeah, you're right. The messenger is so important. Like it's hard to win over young black voters when when your candidate is some rich white arthritic billionaire like Mitt Romney or John McCain. Like, you know, those guys turn me off. You know what I mean? Like we need somebody hip and and cool to push the message without it's it's the reality. And some of these old guards try to fight against it. I'm not saying, hey, I'm better than you guys. I'm saying, hey, work with me because in the time that we're in right now, you're not going to win. It's not going to happen. We have social justice warriors or whatever, an old white guy with white hair uh, is not going to win right now in California, right? No, no chance. Behind someone who has put in the work, who has shown that they can unify enough of of, of the demographic and if I get your your experience and things that you've done to come in and endorse, be a part of our administration, that gives me all that extra bulk of experience that you may think or say that I lack. So instead of being in a stance of frustration or doubt, join in on the field and suit up and be a part of the plan versus the spectator. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, a little earlier, you mentioned um, making California a little more business friendly. And I mentioned I sold my business. I was absolutely appalled at how much California took in taxes when I sold it. I I literally threw up when I got that bill. Um, I know a lot of businesses are leaving. As I told you, we're thinking about leaving in July. What would you actually do? Like what, what changes would you make to make it more business friendly? So there's a few components. So I'm proposing something and the first draft will be available really soon. It's called the restore California plan. 
within this plan, we're gonna we're gonna shine a light on our small businesses. And as I mentioned earlier, we are going to do a forensic audit on California's budget and also spending across the state. And we're gonna identify those wasteful the, the, the wasteful spending in those funds. After we do that, we're gonna be able to reallocate those funds. Portion of those funds are gonna go to a four-year program, which is going to be a stimulus for small businesses like yours and thousands of others for four years to be a benefit in regards to if it's for, mar- for, for marketing, uh, getting new staff, um, you know, uh, or just reopening, right? Yep. Um, and, and the theory behind that is that I've been here long enough on this planet to see the government bail out banks and also corporations. Yep. Right? They, they've done that. We're in a crisis. This was mm-hmm. an emergency situation and people were uh, literally uh, just thrown under the bus in regards to their businesses. So me, from a leadership perspective, I want to bail them out. I want to yep. give them a stimulus. I want to give them a hand up. And I think that with that happening, it's going to be a domino effect in regards to the good that it's going to add to our economy and also here in California. But more importantly, the next phase is I have a program. I have an idea that I'm going to reach out to four manufacturers. The reason why that's going to happen is that uh, businesses would love to do business in California, but the main reason is because of the taxes and all the regulations and restrictions. But if you change your leadership that's willing to pull back on some of those things, right? And then you have someone that's uh, able, to, that's willing to sit at the table and bring you to the table under the pretense of certain guidelines like the, each factory. I want each factory to hire 4,000 to 5,000 individuals. If you add that up, there's over 20,000 new jobs here, uh, here in our state, but it also combats multiple problems. You know, we have high, um, high rents and the you know, price of rent here is very high. People can't afford it. Well, if we look at history, we have our great grandfathers and grandfathers who worked at factories for 20 years and they bought houses. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So that's saying that these factories are going to create really great jobs. And it's going to create a ripple effect and a domino effect in regards to the boost of our morale, the uh-huh. boost of our economy. So things like that with the Restore California plan is going to be hugely beneficial in addition to other things and components. That's a part of that as well. Yeah, the the um the housing prices are another factor like like uh student loans that people just don't understand. The reason the housing prices shot up is also government and 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 rules they put into place and also things they did to try to help people get houses. That's what caused the escalation of housing prices and priced most people out of the market. Like if people just if they just follow the trail all the way to the beginning, they can see that most of the time the government's gotten involved, it's made the situation worse. Right. Now you talked you talked about some programs that help small business owners, which would be wonderful because all of these stimuluses they're, it's just theft. They take money from the middle class, they throw peanuts at some people, and then they give banks giant amounts of money that right. they then lend out to people for interest. Like it's just these, these stimulus things. I almost feel like they purposely tank the economy so that they can do a stimulus because it's another way to extract wealth from the middle class. Beyond that, um, get so yeah, doing a stimulus to actually go just to the small business owners that sounds like a good idea. Other than that, what about like a big a pr- big problem here in California is the taxes on business and the regulations? Would you be cutting those things? Oh, absolutely. But, you know, everything is one step at a time. I'm a strategic guy. I'm a planner and I deal in reality. I know for a fact it won't happen with one swoop, but I know that those mechanisms should be in place. And the best thing that we have as Californians have me as governor is that I absolutely work towards that. 
Uh, that's something that I'm strongly supportive of in regards to small businesses having lower taxes, less strict restrictions and regulations. I had a good friend that opened up a restaurant or a bakery and he couldn't even open it for like six months yet. He was still paying his lease every yep. single year. I mean, every single month bleeding money because of regulations mm -hmm. and red tape. So having someone, a champion like me in there, I want to alleviate yep. all that as soon as possible. Uh, but that is definitely on my radar. I am Good. business friendly because I know um, how it works. I understand if you have a business, that means jobs, that means sustainable community. Um, and it, like I said, I'm really big on morale. Like when people feel good about their community and businesses are open and thriving, the, now the businesses can give back to you know the less fortunate as well. People have no idea the domino effect that happens when you take the livelihood and the profits away from a business because they do more than just mm -hmm. think they do as far as feed you. They do other things with their funds, adding back to the community as well. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We're all doing better when everybody's doing better. Um, yeah. I mean, what a lot of people don't realize is those regulations. They think we have these regulations on business to, to uh, protect us. Some of them may be but the people, the regulations, most of them get written by the lobbyists for the biggest corporations out there to prevent small guys from being able to rise up and compete. The regulations aren't to keep uh, Walmart and Target in check. They're to take uh, mom pa's uh, shoe store on Fifth Avenue from being able to rise up to compete. You see a prime example of that happening right now. All the big box businesses. Oh, they're all open. Open, right? Yep. And who's going through turmoil right now? It's all the small businesses uh, because they are not the lobbyists. They're not the ones who are making the decisions in, in the ears of these legislators and these, you know, these congressmen and these elected officials. And so you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's gross. Um, so we're, we're, we're out of time here. It's, it's been great talking to you. I just have one more question. I read on your page that... Um, that uh, you were pursuing an MBA career earlier in your life. So I'm wondering what what went wrong there? I wasn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> How far did you get? Uh, well, I, I didn't get far, man. Um, I, I went and tried out for a couple of teams uh, with, with a few agents and uh, the people that were looking at me were the Detroit Pistons and the Minnesota, Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't quite work out, but I, I, I'm glad I had that particular experience in those workouts. Uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way because uh, uh, that pushed me to move to California over 20 some years ago. And on the third day, I met my best friend and my wife of 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, Oh, everything just worked out. So I'm happy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you might not have gotten the career, but if you got a tryout, you're still like a top 0.1 percenter in the world at the sport of basketball. I mean, I tell everyone, I will say this: uh, my 40 percent is better than a lot of people who play intramural 100 percent. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm sure it is. All right, uh, Major, it's it's been great having you. I, I I can I can say I'm I'm behind you right now. So I'd love to get you back on a year down the road when we're getting closer to things and and try to get your message out because we gotta we gotta take Newsom down. He's 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 the friggin' worst. I, I agree with you, man. Thank you so much for having me having me on board. I appreciate you. All right, man. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right, guys. I hope you like what you heard from Major Williams. Uh, I know I did. I can definitely get behind that guy, and I'm going to urge all my friends, family, uh, all the listeners to get out there and and make his name known. We got to take down Newsom. The guy's just, he's a tyrant. 
And I have no patience for that. If you want to contribute or get involved with Major's campaign, go to majorforgovernor.com. You can make a contribution there, as you heard from him. And I did ask him to release it, and he will be releasing it. Uh, He says all of his donations come from the people. And to be quite honest, I don't need to know a lot of a man's policies um, before I'll support him. Besides that, if you're a politician of and for the people, that alone is almost good enough in my book, whether you're a Democrat, a conservative or whatever, because at least I know I can trust the words coming out your mouth that you are you intend to represent the people. Because when you're taking money from some big special interest, that's who you're representing because they're not giving you that money for free. They are giving you that money and they expect favors and that's everything that's wrong with our government these days. Um, anyway, Support uh, Major at majorforgovernor.com and please join us again next week. Uh, we're, we're, next week we got somebody who is running for governor in Oregon with the Libertarian Party and you guys know how I love me some liberty. All right, pretty girls and fat boys, get out there, spread some love, stay peaceful, and we will see you again soon. All right, guys, I got some exciting news. The dad is now not only a 47-year-old professional athlete, but I'm now also a 47-year-old professional underwear model. That's right, guys. We got a new sponsor, sheathunderwear.com. These guys are amazing. Uh, Six months of lockdown has paid off as fat party dad has become buff underwear model dad. Um, And look, guys, I know you all know I've gone the first 46 years of my life commando, and that's for a couple reasons. Um, Number one. I'm a free spirit. And number two, I've got a lot of beef down there. And, um, you know, underwear, it mashes it all up. It makes it uncomfortable. It makes it sweaty. It's, I just, I've, I've never dug it. But for the last year, I've been wearing sheath. They've solved all those problems. They got two pouches, two pouches in their underwear, one for the peener and one for the baby seed maker. These underwear, they keep everything separate and cozy in their own little pockets, and it just solves all those problems. It's amazing. It's like a little blanket for your balls and another one for the peen. It's amazing. You know what? I mean, like, when I was a kid, when I ate, I didn't like when my peas would touch my mashed potatoes, so I'd build, like, physical barriers between everything on the plate. I didn't like the things that touch. And that's what these underwear do, but before your junk. And I'm telling you, it's just the greatest thing of all time. And the material they're made out of, you know, honestly, I don't know what it is. I probably should educate myself on that, but it's made out of something special. It's, it's probably made by NASA. Um, you can go on the website, sheathunderwear.com, and read about it. That's what you should do. All I know is this material keeps everything fresh and cool all day long. It's like, it's like what's it like? It's like having your little like personal secretary no a a little personal angel down there all day long just gently blowing cool air on your balls you can't beat it these underwear they're they're so perfectly comfortable that i even wear them to bed i've been sleeping naked since i was six years old i wear these to bed i mean they're more comfortable than the sheets guys look you got to try them and and ladies they make panties for you too now i know you don't need the secret little pockets but you're going to love the fabric. It's super comfortable. So check them out and get some for your man. Her never suffer from sweaty stink balls ever again. Um, now, look, I don't know. I don't think this is a story I've told on the podcast before, but when the bride got preggers the first time, and before I even knew she was pregnant, in fact, this story is how I found out. 
I came home from playing volleyball like I did nearly every day. And I took my shorts off and she literally yelled out, gross, Matt, your balls stink. Yelled that to me. Now, I mean, we all know that pregnant ladies, they get hormonal and moody, but they also develop like superhero sense of smell. And she shouted that out at me. And it hurt my feelings and gave me a little bit of a complex for the next nine months, to be quite honest. And, and I took special care of my, my grooming. That's when I started trimming down there and, and uh, taking care of the old boy. But if I had sheath underwear at that time, it wouldn't have been a problem. And it would have saved me a lot of heartache. So guys, um, get these underwear. I promise you will absolutely love them. You'll throw out all your old, ratty, holy crusty underwear and your go 100% sheath. So check them out, sheathunderwear.com, best stuff on earth. All right, guys, let's get into it. 